Hey, movie fans, before we get stuck into episode four of The Mummy Returns, I just wanted to point you into the right direction. If you're after another podcast that talks about movies and also has some sequels on its list, go across and see Chat Flicks. By definition alone, there are inferior films. Welcome back, cinema fans. This is Sequel Suck. I'm Cable Brandon Sage, and with me, I've got Angus Brown once again. I think he's going to be the co-host pretty much of this series of uh, podcasts. And we're going to talk about the 2001 film The Mummy Returns, which is the sequel to the 1999 movie The Mummy with Brendan Fraser, which was a smash hit. Um I don't know if, what they were expecting Universal when they made the first one, whether they thought it was going to be as big as it was, but it was. And, of course, the sequel quickly followed. And we're here to talk about it. Angus, how are you, mate? I'm great, man. I'm very happy to return. Uh, it's uh, it's exciting. I'm, I'm excited to talk Mummy and Universal and, and, and monster movies and rebirthing of monster movies and all the great things that they could and would and should and have been with this this franchise that exploded uh this is this is a fun one this is a really fun series overall to dive into and i'm i'm, I'm glad that that someone wants to talk about it other than me yeah so uh, i mean like I'm, I'm gonna take a stab in the dark and say that you probably saw this at the cinema oh yeah i did a couple of times well wow, okay sure. well so we've got something in common because i definitely know i saw it twice and maybe even three times and yeah, it gets mixed. I know I saw The Mummy multiple times in the cinema, and I know I saw The Mummy Returns, but I don't know which one I saw more. It's probably a good chance I saw Mummy Returns more because I was older and could you know, do more stuff by myself in 2001 Absolutely. than I could in, in, in the original came out. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I've actually got a funny Mummy story in, uh, in that uh, when that was coming out, my sister was a manager or, you know, working up at a Hoyt's um, cinema. So... What they used to do, and I don't think this is done a lot more anymore. And I don't even know how above board this was, to be totally honest. But what they used to do um, is they would have a like a technically a staff night. So you know how most movies generally, as a rule, will drop in Australia on a Thursday. Mm-hmm. What they would do, they to make sure they'd put the print together and all that, they'd normally do a Tuesday night session, but it'd be pretty late, like 10 p.m. or so, like once the, the rest of the other sort of movies are finished or whatever cinema's left. And it would just be the staff and their family and say, oh, you're just seeing Austin Powers too or The Mummy or whatever it is, um, come along. It's just gold coin donation pretty much. And that money would go to their Christmas party. <laughs> so, yeah. So I don't know how legit, like whether Hoyts, was, that was a thing that was approved of or not, but – the one thing that happened because everyone was enjoying the mummy so much, the guy that was in the production room had actually come out and started watching it. And then all of a sudden this weird thing happened towards the end where it started and then it actually melted on screen. Oh yeah. So um, it was like, it was like, what? Like, cause it just had this part, like, especially um, when Imhotep's bringing out all the, you know, all the stuff at the end with the, you know, the, the souls coming back, you know, from the book of the dead and all that sort of stuff. And then the film just started to, you know, shake a little bit and then started to, like, you saw it melt and burn on screen. And then oh, they're all like, oh, shit. And then the guy running out of the city, <laughs> going back up there. And, you know, five minutes later, we got to see the rest of it. But, uh, yeah. That's no, I can confirm. That's, um, 
That's a legit thing. My my wife's uh, stepdad uh, managed a cinema and when she was growing up and that was the thing, like they'd get them in and they'd do the test things. And so my my wife and her siblings were like the kings of the school. Every time oh, a hot no. movie came around, they'd see it like two days before it came out. And it was like currency, like people would be coming up, like, tell me about it. Tell me like, no, I don't know, man. I don't know if I want to tell you about it. No, no, what's what's in it for me? <laughs> it became just gods for 48 hours before it came out to the general public. But I, I do remember when that happened with The Mummy, there was definitely, um, I think, Hoyt's. At some point, that sort of gravy train sort of came to an end where that wasn't such a thing. So I don't know whether it was. <laughs> Maybe. Probably when piracy in the internet came around and people could sneak in with video cameras and get it up online when the internet started to become a thing. Maybe. Studios, yeah. uh, cinemas are probably like, oh, no, 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 no. We can't have anyone in except the projectionist. No, and you're probably right. Probably right. The internet then, ruins everything. Yeah, so I, I definitely saw The Mummy twice, but I, I feel like I saw The Mummy Returns. At least, I definitely saw it twice and maybe three times at the cinema. doesn't mean I loved it. <laughs> But I enjoyed it, so yeah. Well, uh, look, the Mummy Returns is uh, this is a really weird one for me because when I look at like the box art of the or the poster, like I had the poster for Mummy Returns on my wall for quite a while. I got it from my local video. I think I wasn't fast enough to get the Mummy, but I got the Mummy Returns. I like. Do you remember like you? you I don't know if this is off topic, but I don't know if yeah. anyone else mm-hmm. listening did this. But you could go into video stores. Yeah. And you could say like, when you get the posters for this movie, I want to reserve it. So like they put up, you know, the posters and I would go in and be like, as soon as you get Mummy Returns or Independence Day or many, like put my name on it. And so your name would go on a sticker on the back of the poster. And when it was time to pull it down, you'd get a call me like, guess what? And then you could go, my video store gave them away for free, which is even better. Yeah. But I remember Mummy Returns. And so the box art like has so much happy memories for me. And I love the mummy so much. And I remember going to see this movie at the cinema so many times, like more times than normal. Like I know three isn't a lot these days, but when you're a kid back in the nineties and the early two thousands, like going more than twice was just insane. Especially yeah. I lived an hour away from the closest cinema. It was a oh, big wow. deal. And then it came out on VHS and, and DVD and I watched and I watched it. And before I rewatched it for this episode, it had probably been, I'm going to say 10 years since mm. I'd sat down yep. and watched my, I'd watched the mummy a lot. And I don't know if the movie changed or I changed, mm. but this isn't what I remembered. It's not everything I remembered. And watching this movie, I, I, I got real sad <laughs> to be oh, honest. Wow. Because, well, I'm, not because I'm, it made me sad as a sad movie, but because I was like, oh, okay, that that part of childlike wonder in me is gone because this movie is not as good as I remember it by far. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It's it's a funny thing. I remember speaking to other people about it recently. I might have even been one of our uh, chat flicks type sort of chats, but it's funny because I feel like that late 90s and early 2000s for me as well, there was so many of those movies, not necessarily great movies, but just good sort of fun entertainment, whether it's American Pie or The Mummy. I felt like there was that era, you know, those movies would come out, you'd go watch them one or two times if that you really loved the movies or you went again the second time with a friend who hadn't seen it and bring them into it. And then, you know, it'd come out on DVD and I'd go and get it on DVD straight away and would like, it'd be like on high rotation. And you're right, like I probably had seen this movie probably 10 times in a short amount of time. And then like, like you said, probably haven't seen it for 10 years. And it's weird. Like when you, and that's not like the mummy returns, isn't the only one that's 
fallen into that bracket. But there's movies I'd probably say, I could say, you've seen it 25 times, but I haven't seen it for 10 years. And it's sort of, I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know whether it's just, we get more responsibility, more work. We just, our lives are busier. I don't know. But um, yeah, it was, maybe I want to see extra or new stuff I've never seen before. But yeah, well, and that's like I found during lockdown, I had a real desire to go to nostalgia. I didn't want to watch a lot of, not that there were new movies, but I didn't want to watch a lot of new content. I didn't want to watch a lot of new shit. People are like, oh, have you seen, I know, Tiger King or whatever this stuff? And I was like, I'll get to it. But right now, like, I just want to rewatch the stuff from my child. Like, I rewatched like Gross Point Blank a couple of times and I watched all these movies that nobody else cares about, but I really mm-hmm. loved as a kid. And The Mummy was one of them. I was like, got it on Blu ray and just rewatched the shit out of it. And Mummy Returns, I've been trying to, since I rewatched it for this episode, I've been trying to break down in my head what it is. And I can't, I can't quite nail it, but I think it's, there's a few elements that I think are in this movie that aren't quite right. And I think the first one is they don't let Brendan Fraser be Brendan Fraser in the same way. And that probably sounds weird, but Rick O'Connell is not the same Rick O'Connell in this movie and not because of character development. Like it's not like, oh, he's a bit older and he's married with a kid. So he's a bit more, he's trying to do all the same stuff, but it's just not there. And he doesn't, he's not in it as much, which is weird because he's Brendan Fraser in 2001. He's a super duper superstar and he's the name above the title guy. Like the only reason that the sequel exists is because Brendan Fraser was in it. But Rick O'Connell isn't in this movie as much. And when he is, he's not really doing stuff. Now, I know from doing research, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is he got injured a lot on set in this movie. And this movie actually has a big part to play in why Brendan Fraser's career went downhill because of some serious back injuries he got in stunts he did and some, uh, some knee injuries because of horse stuff. But I think the first problem with this movie is if you watch The Mummy and then you watch Mummy Returns, it's like you're getting Rick O'Connell light. Like he's just not in it in the same way. Instead of amping him up, they really water him down and it's it doesn't work. Yeah, well, I, I will back you up on that. I feel like, I guess for me, you know, looking back on this film, this movie, I think it was too ambitious and I think they, you know, sometimes with sequels, they try and they go, oh, we'll, we'll try and give you the same, but we have to put a spin on it, but we have to obviously give you something else. We have to raise the stakes. I will give the credit that generally for the most part, this movie is just constantly bang, 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 just go, 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 go. So it's cool. Oh, it is relentless. And, yeah. and so I give it credit for that, but I, I feel like there's just, you know, storyline and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty – I think I'm intellectual enough to be able to follow a, a somewhat complicated story, but it is messy because they try and introduce the Scorpion King at the start. So we get that backstory. And then we go back to Evie and, and, and Rick and then, but they've got a kid now, which again, this is another point. I'll remind me to bring up the kid, but then you've got the Magi are back again. And then Imhotep, someone's trying to bring up Imhotep. And then there's the reincarnated versions of Evie and um, Anaxa Namun and, you know, like it was just, there's so much happening. And then, yeah, it's kind of, yeah. Like they've tried to follow the bl- blueprint of the first one, but then they've just added all this extra stuff. And yeah, it's, 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 it's really it's, not cohesive too, enough. There's too many ingredients. And I think you nailed the second big problem I have with it that you just, you brought up is the kid. First of all, like, what are you doing putting a kid in this friggin' movie? Like there's no room for a kid in this movie. You need someone in peril with the bracelet. You got Jonathan. 
Yeah. And he gets completely sidelined. Like poor John Hanna, who is an amazing actor, who is so good as the comic relief and the bumbling but lovable fool in The Mummy, is playing second fiddle to a 10-year-old and he barely gets any screen time. And when he does, he's just kind of watching the kid and being like, what are you doing? And running the other way from danger where the kid's like, we're going. And then he looks like an idiot compared to a child. And I, I'm so annoyed. I'm so annoyed that they made the kid 10 years old because he's just old enough to like have some autonomy and be in it, but not old enough to do anything interesting and not young enough to be in any real peril when he's left on his own. He's just precocious and annoying. And the only reason he's 10 years old is because Stephen Summers didn't want to work with a baby on set. He's like, yeah, I know it hasn't been 10 years between movies and Evie and, and Rick are the same age, but I just didn't want to work with a baby. But so I made him 10. Like what a lame reason to put a child in a movie. Well, and that's, I think that was something that got picked up really early. Like, you know, you get the card, the time cards of, you know, 1932 Egypt or, you know, whatever, or whatever the, the different cards were. And people quickly were like, hang on. If Rick and Evie met in 1925, it's supposed to be 19, you know, 31 or whatever. Like the, the kid couldn't be that old. Like he would have to have been conceived, conceived before they met. And, but like, how can they stuff that up? Like, that's just kind of ridiculous. Yeah, like, and it's, like, it's how, simply because Stephen Summers just wanted an older kid to be in it. But I, I don't, the whole movie, I just couldn't figure out why he's in it. Because for, well, firstly, it completely neuters Rick and Evie. Because like, right, they got mummies. They got multiple mummies now. They've got Scorpion King. They got Imhotep. They've got the evil librarian is now, he's he was a bad guy all along, it turns out. Also, for no reason, and we, we will get into this next, Nefertiti. Evie is Nefertiti for some friggin' reason, which doesn't make any sense. But all of that aside, you've got all this going on and none of it is allowed to matter because the only thing that those characters can care about is getting their son back. So anytime there's any kind of hijinks, adventure, excitement, anytime they see something cool or something scary, they can't react to it in any other way than this is an obstacle to get to my kid. And you got kids and I got kids. So I fully understand watching it. It's like, oh yeah, if somebody kidnapped my kid, it doesn't matter what I see. Like I could see Santa Claus himself riding out of the Aurora Borealis on a unicorn. And I'd be like, out of the way, fat man. Somebody's got my kid. Like nothing yeah. matters when a kid is in peril. You become lame. You take these characters and you give them nothing to do. Yeah. Except try and get the kid. So the, the whole mummy aspect of the movie kind of becomes irrelevant. It doesn't matter that Scorpion King is coming back. It doesn't matter that Imhotep is coming back. The only thing that matters is that some bad guys took our lead character's kid. That's what the story boils down to. That's not a mummy movie. That's taken. Like, who gives a crap? Yeah. So that really, really ruins it. I think. Yeah, it's um, yeah, I, I think that's it. We, it's a terrible movie. No, um, <laughs> no, I, 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 that's, it's, it's also that's why it confuses me because I still don't think it's a terrible movie. Yeah. I just think it's bad, and I still somehow have affection for it. But yeah, yeah I, this kid. Did I, you, I, were you as annoyed by the kid as I was? Oh yeah, I, I've, I, I've never. I never loved him. I don't think he was great acting. And but I, I'm I'm loath to really have a go at these kids because at the end of the day, they audition, they want to roll the directors and, and someone chooses them and thinks they're good enough and either works well, he, or doesn't. He but, actually turned down a big I don't know what the part was, but he turned down a big part in Harry Potter to be in The Mummy Returns because the mummy was his favorite movie ever. So this kid was a good enough actor. He had like directors yeah. fighting for him. Oh wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I agree with you. And I probably hadn't even thought of it like that, but you're right. I mean, he's not needed. Like, I know they tried to, I guess, raise the stakes by having Rick and Evie have this turmoil, like you're saying, but it just takes away from all the other stuff that's happening. Um, and you're right, it could have been it could have been John Hannah's character, it could have been, I don't know, someone it could have even just been Evie. I but I can see how they probably didn't want to have Evie, the one, be the damsel in distress again. So they probably thought. But they do it anyway. Well, she yes. becomes the damsel in distress at the end of the movie anyway because they run out of things to do. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, if she had been pregnant, I think that would be way more interesting because then you can have her and the child be in peril at times. But when she's in relative safety or, you know, when nothing bad is happening, then Rick can still run around and, and be in a mummy movie. And yeah. do crazy stuff, and and Evie, if she gets her hands on a gun, like she does in the the weird jungle scene, yeah, well, that's just yeah, really. We got to. We've talked about the jungle scene in Mummy Returns on another episode of this podcast that is not the Mummy Returns. Yeah. Did that scene feel familiar to you in any way when they've got the pygmies running yes. through the grass? Oh yeah, the, the, the Lost World. Yes, yeah. It is. The, it's the Velociraptor scene exactly from the Lost World. Yeah. And it's funny because, yeah, they, they're walking out into this field all of a sudden. And, and, again, some of the shots, not quite aerial, the same as the Velociraptor scene, but definitely definitely very, very similar. Um, like so similar to the point where I was like, is this – is this? I know it's not the same writer, but, like, did Stephen Summers spend some time on set? What is what is going on? Yeah. There's, there's two points in this movie that are actually stolen from other movies, and that's the first one. We'll get to the second one towards the end because it's towards the end. Yeah. But – like that aspect of having a child derails it. The, I think the third thing that really derails it is Imhotep loses all credibility as a villain because the whole plot of the first movie is he has to resurrect Anoxonamun. That's all he cares about in the world is Anoxonamun. He's going to get it back. And to do that, there's a whole series of bullshit that he has to do. He has to get eyes and mouths and things to, to grow himself. And then he has to get a vessel. And then he has to do all this stuff to do crazy things to get a nook cinnamon. In The Mummy Returns, there's just a woman who looks like a nook cinnamon. It's the same act. She's a nook cinnamon reincarnated. But she's not a nook cinnamon reincarnated. She's just her body reincarnated. And then her... And Imhotep kneel down and have a dream, and then she's a Nuxunamun resurrected, which negates everything that happens in the first movie. But it also makes Imhotep really impotent because, like, oh, nothing you do matters because we don't need you to go and carry out all this crazy stuff that you we did in the first movie. You could have just knelt by a river and had a dream. So you're really kind of pointless as a, a villain. What what the frig, man? And then to try and cover the fact that they've completely ruined the whole plot of the first movie with that, they very quickly are like, but also Evie is Nefertiti. Mm. It, that, I hated that. How did you feel about, about Evie being Nefertiti? Because I, I purely hate that story point in this movie. Yeah, I oh, know. It was something that, again, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, wow. It's it, funny you talk about movies that rips off. Of course, it's not ripping off Back to the Future 2, but it was funny that they, in the sequel, were able to, by her being Nefertiri, that they could kind of go back and we could see something from the first movie from a different point of view. But, yeah, overall, I, I was like, oh, come on, it's a stretch. It's, you've already got somebody else that's reincarnated and just happens to be you. And, um, yeah, look, it's... And also, if she is... Nefertiti, why the fuck didn't 
why didn't Imhotep notice that in the first movie when he was trying to turn into a Nooks and a Moon? Like yeah. he, he obviously knew he would have looked and gone, oh, you're the reincarnation of, of Nefertiti. Hmm. So maybe well, I won't. You remind me of somebody. Yeah. Hmm. Aren't you the lady who tried to kill my wife? Like what the, what is happening? This movie is so disconnected from the first one. It feels like, like a totally different team made it 10 years after the original, not the same writer director making it immediately after the original. Like this movie was made so quickly. It was greenlit literally the day after the mummy opened. So that's how quickly Steve Summers knew this was happening. And he still forgot the plot of the first movie when he wrote the sequel. Well, like, so he, I should have done this for my research. Um, he did write the first one as well, did he not? Yeah. Yeah. So Stephen Summers, like the mummy and the mummy returns are Stephen Summers babies. They like, he really championed them. Um, in ways that he's never really risen again. Like he, he's had a couple of things that he got behind and, and made happen a couple of produ uh, production things. Like he's produced on GI Joe, the GI Joe movies. And he's produced on the Scorpion King stuff, obviously, and Van Helsing. But as a director, he's really not got much of note, like the jungle book version that everyone forgot exists. Deep rising, which was a so-so horror movie, Van Helsing, which, I think probably killed his career, which came out after Mummy Returns. Oh yeah, that was and terrible. Then, yeah, and then like nothing really. Well, because I was going to say, like, see, cool see, the, I guess this is my again. Don't want to shit on anyone, but um, he obviously. I look, we love the Mummy, so um, you know, I'll give him credit there. He directed obviously the Mummy, and he was one of the screen store was on the screenplay of that. Um, but there was a couple of others joined to that, so we can't necessarily give him full credit for that um but having said that it's a remake okay they're, they're gonna you know make it a more updated and and you know comprehensive sort of script anyway but they, they had a template for the original mummy like you talked about your universal monster movies and stuff like that so it's not like it was a brand new uh unique story so um was he really it's well it's not but it I don't know. Have you ever watched the original Boris Karloff mummy? The I, I've seen, but I can't remember seeing the whole thing. I would so it, it is, it is a very, very different film. Like he's only uh, a mummy sort of in name. He's barely in the bandages. He's more like a, I don't, I don't know what you would call him, like a spirit demon kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's a much smaller, more romanticized film, like, as most of that era of Universal movies are, because they didn't have the budgets to do crazy stuff. But it is a much smaller, more intimate film about a couple of characters trying to figure out like what's going on with this mummy that they dug up and then disappeared, and the whole idea of like resurrecting a dead love and an ancient priest and a monster who is actually like quite menacing isn't really in it. So they did they brought in a lot of elements into this movie that really elevated it to i would say better than the original not just because it's got better effects but i think the story and the satisfaction of watching the story play out i think this is the better version that the original mummy is the better version of or just not to, the first stephen summers mummy yes. is better than the original universal mummy yes. okay gotcha. in my opinion in terms of satisfaction yeah so i'm quite baffled how riding high on that and getting like pretty amazing to get back everyone like everyone yeah, came I back for this movie they didn't have to awkwardly recast any characters like they did in Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Emperor, like everyone was like, "We're in, let's do it," and it's just not—it's not right. And also, the final thing, which I'll, I'll 
I've complained a lot. The final thing I complain about before I start talking about what I like about the movie is this movie got greenlit the day after the first one came out. So everyone knew this movie was happening. Everyone knew it was going to be bigger and bad than the first one because that's what big Hollywood sequels are. They had studio money. They had star power. They had a writer-director who had been a part of the first one coming back. And yet they didn't have time to finish the CGI on the Scorpion King, who is the fucking big bad of the movie. If there's anything you're going to spend time and money on, it's got to be him. And somehow they completely shit the bed on the most important and effect in the entire film. And that that always, that was the one thing that gutted me and, and really took me out of the movie, that that was so bad. Oh, even as a kid, when he first yeah. appears, I was like, what the shit is this? Yeah, it's worse than computer game. Um, I would, like, what were you, th- well, well, now that you brought that up and that being a really big sticking point, I know, I remember watching a YouTube video a couple of years ago and it had, you know, top 10 worst CGI um, or things that ruin a movie. And I th- I'm pretty sure that was close to a number one. Like, just really. I can't think of anything worse off the top of my head, honestly. Um, but that, that's the thing, like, yeah. And that's where I think, again, this movie, when you think about it, coming in 2001, so that's two years after the first one. So that's a quick turnaround for a big budget, even, you know, whether they had the big budget, I shouldn't say that. It's not like it's a Star Wars movie, but still decent money. But I think they were way too ambitious, again, with the story, like you say, we're saying. And then, but at the end of the day, it's also they relied so much, so heavily on CGI and special effects there was so much of it that, like you said, yeah, they neglected that one or thought that was going to work or just literally ran out of time. Because in fairness, you know, they get put, oh, okay, you're coming out on the, the, the first weekend of summer in May and that's it, you're locked in and it's got to be done. Oh, geez, that was bad. But it's not the only one. I, Looking back, there's definitely some effects there that I think are really average. Mm, and, uh, and there's there's some effects in the first mummy that don't like especially on blu-ray hd 4k stuff that you look at it and you're like that's a bit but you can forgive it because it's like all right 90s you were doing your best but yeah there's definitely some effects in the first one that don't hold up there are some other effects in this movie that don't hold up but i i've never been able to get past the fact that if the whole movie is about we have to stop the scorpion king we can't let the scorpion king come back he's the most dangerous thing ever if he comes back the, it's literally the end of the world and the scorpion king comes back and he's laughable he's such a laughable look and he could be terrifying yeah. if that character was done right it could have looked like something out of out of john carpenter's the thing like it could yeah. have been an absolutely horrifying image Obviously, they're not going to make it that bad because it's for kids, but they could have made it, you know, right on the cusp of something pretty messed up. But yeah, instead you get something that it's like, you know, that when that person accidentally wiped the face off that really expensive painting and then hand drew it back on and it became a famous meme because it's like, it's like that. It's like the CGI guy the day before the movie had to go out was just like, and safe. And he accidentally just hit delete and he's like, oh no. And then hurriedly got like MS paint and quickly drew the rock's face from memory. It was like, oh, they won't notice. That'll be fine. That'll be fine. And sent it to the cinemas. Like I can't imagine what, I can't imagine being Brendan Fraser. I can't imagine being the rock. Like your first ever film, you are yes. one of the biggest athletes in the world. Your first ever appearance in a movie, you're getting ready to launch your career. I can't imagine sitting down in that cinema on opening night and you're in the opening credits and you look fucking badass in this sword and sandals epic and you're sweaty and you're ripped and you are the bad guy. And at the end of the movie, out comes that. 
Yeah. Like, oh my God, the the pain that he must have experienced, that the I whole agree. cast must have experienced. Oh, I agree. I, I, I just, I, I'd love to know uh, how they actually did it and what, what they sort of did, whether they did motion capture with him and, and just run through a computer and, and what have you. But I just feel like they, yeah, they must, they should have, again, I'm not a special effects person and, you know, there's obviously people out there that know how to do this sort of stuff and who knows what Not in the returns, it's not. Well, <laughs> you just, well, even at the time, you just wonder, like, if you're going to be, like, because I think if you look back at it, the actual part of the scorpion, the legs and that, that looks fine. That looks actually really good. It's just once you get to the torso and the head, it looks terrible. Yeah, and so obviously they couldn't replicate the skin or the human look fanta- fantastic enough, but I still feel like, is wasn't there a way that they could have still had the rock there and kind of film his stuff and his close-ups as him and superimpose the rest of the scorpion around him or something. I, again, I'm not... I mean, I honestly, I don't know why they didn't look at what they had and go, you know what, guys? Let's scrap the idea of having a torso be human and let's make it like, let's just make it scorpion with kind of mildly human features yeah. and human eyes because we can't pull this off and it's not going to work. Like it, it, it either must have been the biggest rust job or the the most arrogant CG. It must have been the same guy who made the ET game from Atari. Like that level of <laughs> arrogance. Was like I can do anything. I'm gonna make this fucking Scorpion King in 12 hours. I'm just gonna drink coffee and just do it. Yeah. And then turned in. He was like, "There you go." And Universal was like, "We where where do we go? What are we doing? This is what. Oh cr- well, yeah, we yeah we do have to go because it's premiere." But you're fired. Like well, it's, re- it's funny you say that now. Now I wish I had to watch the documentary or some of the, the DVD features because I feel like, again, my memory is getting a bit hazy these days. But uh, I'm pretty sure they um, there was a video about the special effects on it, and obviously back then it was before it was released, and maybe it looked as bad as it did. But I felt like there was a lot of confidence in what they were doing and and what have you. So. You, you're right. Maybe there was a little bit of areas. Maybe they thought they, they had it. There's definitely, I, I, I didn't have Mummy Returns on Blu-ray, but I do have the Mummy on Blu-ray and there is a big special feature about the, the CGI effects of creating ancient Egypt and all the stuff they did. And it's like a 30 minute feature and I watched it and they are so proud of themselves for what they were doing. Mm. So if it's the same team that did the sequel, I imagine they just must've been writing on like, oh yeah, we made this masterpiece of, of modern big budget cinema we're invincible and maybe hubris did get the best of them. I think maybe hubris got the best of a lot of people in this movie, including sadly, Brendan Frazier. Like he was really insistent on doing his own stunts at this period of his career to the, his own detriment. Mm-hmm. In fact, the, the scene that it happened, you can see it very clearly. There's a scene where him and the son was Alex. Is that his name? Whatever yeah. that goddamn kid's yeah. name is. Uh, they get like the mummy like blows them back into some columns and they hit the columns and the columns break. And it's like, Whoa, how are they going to survive? And then they're okay. But if you watch the impact, you can actually like slow it down and frame by frame it. When Brent and Frazier hits, they kept the shot where he hurt his back and you can see he bends in the middle in a way that isn't right. And the expression on his face is real true agony. Something went really wrong. And then it's a really awkward cut out of the shot into like them lying in some rubble. And it's like, that doesn't quite cut together. And it doesn't make sense unless you realize that when the harness pulled him into the the frame, 
the harness snapped too quickly and it did actually bend him wrong. And when he hit, he did have real impact against it. And his back has never recovered. And that's why he's never sort of been able to do the movies that he was doing after The Mummy because he, he couldn't move properly anymore. So he was really badly damaged from, like he's got nerve damage in his back from that that shot. And I think, yeah, like if you are coming off the mummy, like, yeah, man, I'm going to do my own stunts. I'm going to Tom Cruise this shit. That's going to be my thing. Like I'm, the, I'm a real action man. And then Stephen Summers being like, I'm going to just write everything to this movie. And the CGI people are like, we're going to make this the craziest monster ever. And the studio being like, yeah, let's go bigger and bigger and bigger. But then also doing really annoying things. Like, and I, I know I said I was going to move on to things I like, but th- this will be the last thing. The goddamn double-decker bus chase. Oh. Through- <laughs> Which is another it's funny little... Just- it's, it's just another oh. little funny thing. I, I, I didn't hate it. I, I kind of thought it was a funny, at the time, a funny sort of comedy thing. You know, it's very London and very British to have the uh, double-decker bus, but double-decker buses weren't around back then, so it was kind of... <laughs> One of those things that was like, even I sort of knew that. I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure the double-decker bus has been probably around for 60 years. but not The that only long. thing that, that makes that whole sequence forgivable is at the end when uh, the magic, what's, uh, I always, not Viz, Vizlu is the Imhotep, the um, uh, Oded Fier, is that yeah. the actor? Yes, Oded Fier, at the end of that, after they have the big battle with the, the zombie mummies and the shotguns, and it's quite, they do a good job of getting some tension into that with the music and the editing, but it's just like, why do you want to double do it? But the only thing that makes it forgivable at the end is when like they've won the battle and then he just kind of stands up and he's like, this is my first time on a bus. It's like, okay, that's, that's pretty funny. That's a funny joke to put in at the end of that because he's never been, okay, cool, I'll give you that. But it's not worth like the seven minute long sequence that we have to sit through beforehand. Like that whole thing could have been two minutes in and out, crash well, the bus, get the joke, move on. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's those mummies that, you know, sort of chase them. I have, again, that's for me, there's some parts of that, especially when they're running across the side of the wall, you know, you know, the, the building and stuff like that. I just find yeah, that. Why are they monkey mummies now? Yeah. Well, well that oh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't like that. I mean, okay, there's a supernatural. We just got to, I guess, you know, let our mind just go. Okay, that's that's fine. But I kind of again, the effects for that just didn't for me didn't hold yeah. up. Um, there was at least they had of- the good sense to like put that in darker light. So you and they're also yeah. you know they're all like brownish and grey, so you can kind of hide a bit. Like the yeah. the, the sc- they've got fire all around him. He's in full light. Yeah. There's also there's four mummies that start chasing him they only kill three and the fourth one never gets dealt with and the reason is because Stephen Summers was like the sequence has probably gone long enough people get it we won't worry about the fourth one so there's like (laughs) I guess in the world of the movie there's just a zombie mummy just walking around the streets of London killing people now that the main character's like we can't deal with you we've got to go sit down at a pub and just have a beer that would have been a great post-credit sequence. Yeah. That would have been amazing. Just like you have some old. Oh, okay. All right. One last thing. One last one. I promise. Good. The negative. fucking, the fucking hot air balloon and the pile. Oh, the, the dirigible. The dirigible. And the the guy who who what is it? Uh, Adwale. Is it Adwale? Can you? Uh, I can't pronounce his name. I'm gonna bastardize. I'm sorry. Lochner. Is that the character? No, no, that's he's the the big. Oh, Izzy, Izzy, sorry, Izzy is who I'm thinking of. That's right. Uh, No, Lockler's cool. I like him. He's really, 
he's actually one of the things that I really dug about it. There's a real uh, Temple of Doom vibe to that character, like throwing him in there, just the big Jack shirtless, like meat man who's going to cause trouble. I really dug that aspect of Izzy with the gold tooth and the dirigible and the horrible accent and just like the absolute waste of time that that whole thing is. Oh man, I, I <laughs> that trophy insane. That drove me insane. Well, but okay. again, that's another part of the, the, the movie that really, I mean, I know we've got to suspend disbelief a little bit in our minds and just let let a little a bit of the fantastical in and just ro- go along on the ride. But for me, I just, you've already expect us to go with the reincarnated stuff, Scorpion King, the Oasis of Amun Share. But it's like, but now you expect us to have this massive gas balloon that gets damaged and even he says where am i going to get gas here and then all of a sudden just miraculously right at the end he's there to save him and you go but how but also the big action sequence that they have the dirigible in for is the exact same action sequence they do with the biplane in the mummy yes yeah except this time it's water instead of sand but it's the same it's the exact same sequence yeah 100 shot for shot it's just less interest it's kind of like speed and speed to cruise control it's like, yeah, we'll take something like a bus that can't slow down or a high-speed train for a dramatic ending and we'll make this intense action thriller and then for the sequel, we'll put it on a cruise ship. And that's what they did here. They're like, yeah, the first one, biplanes, machine guns, like World War One or not World War, whatever war pirate, uh, pilot is in, you know, East India Trading Company, old man, one last hurrah. Great. You know, yeah, this is real throwback to the Universal era. And then the sequel will do the same thing with a much slower, less reliable softer vehicle that in no way could sustain the damage that it gets given. And then mm. once we destroy it, we just deus ex machina. It can just float again for no reason, right at the last mm-hmm. second. Yeah. And, and the, the ending is uh, the second thing that's a ripoff. It's the end of Jumanji. The end of the mummy returns with everything like swirling in from the Oasis swirling oh, yeah, in yeah, yeah. and all the different characters and then the pygmies and everything and them watching it happen. That's the end of Jumanji. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They just stole that straight out of Jumanji. So the ending of the film in a film that is already ripping off the last one that they made can't even come up with an ending. So they rip it off of Jumanji. And like, ah, that'll do. It's a bit different from the last one. We didn't have Jumanji in the mummy. We'll put it in the mummy returns. Yeah. It's just like, it's, oh, guys, um, come on. Yeah, I don't think we're talking very positively about this movie. Well, that's that's why I keep trying to stop shitting on it and get to the good parts. <laughs> So the good um, parts, here's what I like. Here's what I like. And this is what I always say whenever you invite I should say, just talk. before you go ahead, like I'm, I'm looking at The Mummy Returns on IMDb and it's a 6.4 that I'm seeing there. Have you got it up? Yeah, it's a 6.4 out of 10 from 2,900. Uh, sorry, from so almost 299,184 votes mm. have, uh, have rated it. A 6.4 out of 10. I am honestly surprised at that rating. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, there's a lot of nostalgia. I, I would be surprised if there was a few people clicking some ratings, thinking they were rating The Mummy uh, instead of The Mummy Returns. And I think there's a few people who maybe did some rating on that without watching it in the past 10 years. Like if I had have been rating that blindly based purely on what, how I felt about it before the most recent watch, I probably would have given it like a seven or an eight, just been like, yeah, the mummy returns is great. I remember fucking loving it. Yeah. So I, I think that might be a false rating 
I'm not yes. prepared to believe that. Well, it's not, yeah, it wouldn't be a, a current day uh, rating. It'd be interesting to know if they could actually show if there was some sort of thing you could click on in IMDb or even Rotten Tomatoes or any of those ones where you could actually get like a, uh, like a graph of, you know, when these votes were going in. So you could actually have a, you could see the spike of the year that it was sort of came out and then it drops away and if there's another spike and so you can get. Well, there is, there is some, some breakdowns that I can give you here. Oh, well, there so, you go. See, I'm the, not the, taking uh, I don't know this shit. The most oh. common rating is a six. So 26.6% of people give it a six, only 6.3 give it a 10. I want to talk to those 18,848 people who gave it a 10 because I want to know what the hell. They, they, they probably worked on the CGI for the movie. <laughs> Surprisingly, only 3,816 people who voted this gave it a one, but the demographic breaks down so that, uh, so the most common rating is a six. The most common people to give it a six are males aged 18 to 29. Those are the people who, who love this movie the most. Uh, and most voters are not from the United States. I don't know if that factors in, but yeah. almost double the amount of people who voted for this movie in any capacity are not from the United States. That's all of the demographic breakdown I can get. But uh, well, before you I get find on, it, yep. yeah. Anyway, no. Well, before you go on to the the positives or the things that you liked about this movie. Um, I will say, like you talked about stuff that they sort of rehashed and and what have you, but yeah, there's definitely. Um, I was going to bring up the dirigible and and the biplane is almost the same scene, change sand for water, like oh the, the dumb Americans that they hire that come in that get get you know sucked sucked dry. I mean, there's there's they're exactly the same. They're exactly the same as the the bad guys from the last movie. Yeah, and it just it feels like they did. I mean, if the movie's successful, there's a part of me you go, well, if you're going to have Imitet come back, you're going to have some of the similar things, but I still feel like there was, maybe they could have changed things up enough, but it was almost like, oh, we've kind of got that special effect in the computer. We'll just change it to water this time. And and I I, I don't like being negative. Let's be honest, but I agree with Neither you. Neither do I. I'm, really, I'm disappointed that oh, I've been so negative so far. But I agree with you. I felt like in 1999... When maybe our expectations for effects weren't as high, I think a lot of the stuff the mummy did was amazing at the time, especially when it came to him kind of, you know, coming back together. And I'm like, wow, that looks awesome. I think that holds up. Like, I think that's still a great sequence. But the the, the sandstorm, I think, somewhat holds up still a little bit. But then I I actually thought the water one just looked bad. Like his head. And then actually, you know what? There actually is a shot where. It's very similar to how bad um, the Scorpion King looks is when he does suck the Americans dry, I'm pretty sure, and he's, they're still on the train and he has the mask and he removes it. Oh, yeah, that's... Try the kid and it, again, it's... It, and then you sort of think, couldn't you have just done Arnold's face, actually shot him and then put effects over that to have a, maybe a little bit of... To show that he's not fully a hundred percent, because it's like you've just tried to make him ninety percent in a computer, and again, it looks crap. Doesn't look real. The lighting's weird. He looks waxy, and it's like, I know it was only a split yeah, second, think, but it looked. I terrible. think any time you have cinema goers who argue that CGI is better than practical effects, and fuck yeah, I love computer, you should make them watch the Mummy Returns. 
and then make them watch something like John Carpenter's The Thing. Like you should make them sit down and go, here's what you can do when you use real things on a real set controlled by real people. And here's what happens when you just slap some dots on a face and fix it in post. Now, are you really sure you want to keep going down this road? Because it is a huge missed opportunity uh, and, and a disappointing missed opportunity that they they almost took a step backwards. And there was that period in the early 2000s when a lot of movies that were doing CGI did take a big step backwards because the technology kind of got better. So they did more with it, but it wasn't good enough to pass. So mm. they, they were like, they ran before they could walk and they just came up with some really dodgy effects that that, that do, didn't hold up then, don't hold up now. And I think this is one of the, the better examples. But the positives, the positives of this film mm. are that you are getting, even if it's Rick O'Connell light, you are getting Rick O'Connell again. You are getting Brendan Fraser doing what Brendan Fraser does best, which is being dashing, handsome, funny, cool action man. The, the kind of like rock star action hero that I don't feel like we have these days where he's not, he's in this beautiful middle ground where he's not like a, a jacked dude, bro, like the eighties heroes, like peak Arnie and, and Schwarzenegger and Van Damme. We're like, it's just pure misogyny and breaking dudes necks with your thighs. Like he's, he's still a relatable, cool, good dude that you can be like, yeah, you, I don't hate you. <laughs> I don't hate the things you're saying. You're a cool enough guy. And that's something I don't think we have anymore. Though that kind of action man isn't around. And I love that kind of character. I love that we, uh, we still have the feel of being in 40s, sort of Egypt and yeah, right, London. Like I didn't really need to go there, but I feel like I'm in the same world as the mummy. Yeah. I feel like the characters are living in the same world. I feel like we're following the same path. I love, there's a line in there. I can't remember exactly where I'm ambassadorizing it, but I love this line where they talk about the fact that Jonathan hasn't learned a thing. One of the characters says, you haven't learned a thing, have you, Jonathan? And they're acknowledging like, yeah, he hasn't changed at all. And I don't want him to. Like it would be pointless for that character to come back and be any different from how he is in the first movie because nothing happens in the first movie to make him change. I love that Evie gets to be a bit more of a badass mm. in this one. Like we we get a little bit of uh, a little bit of Sarah Connor Terminator Two in Evie here. We get to see a bit more of what she can do, and I think that's great because we we know without any doubt in the first movie Evie is the brains of the operation. Like everyone's dead if it's not for Evie in the Mummy, in and in the Mummy Returns we get to see a bit more of her kind of running things a little better I mean, okay maybe not like literally every situation they get into rick does help a fair bit but she's the one who is smart she's the one who's capable she's the one oh. who kicks ass i'm not debating that but i would say that some of the events of the first movie were created because she opened her mouth and spoke those words and unleashed the mummy so, so she kind of had to fix yeah, it look, she definitely but i agree, she did I have agree. To fix her problem i agree even though the ring in it now i I will agree with you. That's the one positive. Even though the reincarnated part um, did irk me, I didn't like it. I think the fact that they were able to show her, like you see, be be very independent and a strong woman, and she was fighting like crazy. And um, you know, whether that was part of the yeah, and the, the two actors, Rachel Vice and uh, the actor who plays Anuksa Namun, like the fight scene that they have in the flashback, they they did that. Like they rehearsed and they learned that. And Evie is really in there kicking, well, Nefertiti's really in there kicking ass. And and when she's, you know, being the sniper and, and shooting and things like that, like she learned how to, Rachel Weiss learned how to sort of 
not that she's really shooting, but she learned how to shoot a gun and it comes through that this is a, this is someone who's not accidentally being a hero. She's no, she knows how to fight now. She's Rick has taught her how to fight in the 10 and well, (laughs) however many years it is from the mummy mummy turns. He's taught her a few things. She also has learned to put her brains and her skill for learning and understanding things into a different category, which is killing mummies. And that's really great that they brought that out. Even if they could have done it more, they still did it. And I love that. But I I guess the issue with that, um, the continuity doesn't make sense in that all of a sudden she's got these skills, but she's reincarnated. But why was that not triggered previously? And why didn't she have those sort of flashbacks? That is, I'm going to, I'm going to try and frame this so it doesn't sound too negative, but it is a curiosity that at the beginning of the film, a film series that is not afraid of a flashback or a film series that is not afraid of a voiceover that when we first see Rick and Evie again in the pyramids, they're talking about the dreams that she's been having as though we as an audience have seen the, that scene of her having those dreams. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like there was a scene that got cut out, but they didn't have anything. They didn't have any alternate takes to, to put there. So it's just kind of like, Oh, you know, it, this is like your dream. Yeah. It is like my dream. It's like, hang on. What, what frigging dream? We were just talking about the Scorpion King two seconds ago. Why are we talking about Evie's dreams? And then as it goes on and on, Evie suddenly has almost magical powers from her dreams. But as an audience, we're never introduced to her having those dreams. And because it is such a huge change from her character in number one, it's it's jarring is the positive way that I'll put it. It's a jarring thing to to get and it, it takes a little bit to get on board. Um, it does also lead to something which, which I think is a, uh, a strangeness. <laughs> I'm trying real hard to put a positive spin on this man. Mm. A strangeness in that Rick and Evie get caught in the flood at the, in their opening moment, yeah. uh, and they're trapped in the grates. And Which, you know, actually, that's enough. That even the great. I was when I was watching it the other day. I was like, a great. That just doesn't seem like yeah, it's a very Egyptian thing. That looks like it's um, not going to be in an ancient pyramid. That looks but like they're London, in their, you know, like that, yeah. yeah. This, and there's a great line where she's like this is bad. And he's like, we've been in bad before. And she's like, this is worse. Or it's the other way around. I can't remember which great line. And they're trapped. And it's like, Ooh, how are they going to get out of this one? Like, this is pretty crazy. And the way they get out of it is by accident. Mm. They don't actually get out of it. The Mm. kid knocks something over, which busts a hole in the wall. And if it wasn't for the kid making a mistake, Rick and Evie are dead in the opening moments of this movie. Mm. They don't save themselves. Nothing happened. They don't do anything heroic. Now that, that's a pretty big statement to make about your two action hero characters in the opening of the movie is that if it wasn't for the mistake of a child, they'd be dead. It really delegitimizes their ability to get out of sticky situations, mm. especially when we've had a whole movie beforehand that shows how good they are at getting out of sticky situations. Mm. It's kind of like the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark argument that people have where they talk about that movie happens exactly the same whether Indiana Jones is in it or not. Because at the, the end of the movie, the Nazis just open the ark and kill themselves. Like, it doesn't matter if Indy's there or not. The same thing is going to happen. All he really does is cause more trouble. It's kind of like, yeah, like Rick and Evie, they're dead if it's not for a, a strange twist of fate. Anyway, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm treading back into negative territory when I'm talking about the good things. So we are, the good things, <laughs> the good things came up. It's, it's fun. Yes, it's I'll fun. Overall, it is a good time. 
I, I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed the experience of watching it. Uh, I think, I think it actually might've been better for me if this most recent time I watched it was the first time I ever watched it. Cause I think the fond memories and the high, uh, high bar that I place it up on from not seeing it for 10 years and for watching it as a kid, it was, it couldn't clear it. And that's not necessarily the movie's fault. And I think if I'd never seen the mummy returns and I was like, Oh yeah, I'd love to watch the mummy returns. And I sat down loving the mummy the way that I do. I think I probably would have had that feeling of, Oh yeah, I'm back with these characters. I'm back in this world. Is it as good? No, but who cares? I get to see what Ricky and e Rick and Evie are up to. So I, I think that there's more there than I'm seeing this time around because I think I expected more from it and that's not the movie's fault. Like it, it kind of delivers what it's supposed to deliver. I agree. I agree. I think like you said earlier that, you know, it was firstly amazing. They got them all back. Um, but having said that, if they had such a great time making the first one, most actors would come back. You think the money's good. Um, they had a great experience, the same director, if nearly the whole, similar to the, the Back to the Future movies where most people will, you know, definitely want to come back if they say, oh, Zemeckis is there, Bob Garza, yeah, I'm in, you know, sign me up. Um, and, and I think that's the same here. The problem is getting everyone back, were they all necessary? And then, like you said, I think you hit the nail on the head, like was the kid really needed? Did we really need, you know, couldn't that have been given that position given to somebody else, um, whether that be another character or just someone minor or just written a bit better? I, I do want to, I guess this is not really, a, maybe a little bit of a negative, but sort of a positive. I'm it's hard, isn't it? No, well, hard I'm going to give him a bit of a pass because going back to what we sort of touched on it only quickly, briefly, but, uh, you know, Stephen Summers wrote the, the screenplay for this one. Uh according to IMDb, and it, it seems like he's the only person attached to the writing credits. Now, what's interesting, I believe at the time and when I think there was a bit of negativity or, the, you know, I guess there was confusion over the script or people said there was a bit disjointed, all that sort of stuff. I could have sworn one of the reasons that was given was there was, was there a writer strike around about the time they were doing this? Because I know sometimes this writer strikes do happen occasionally. And generally, ah. if a big, yeah, generally if a big budget movie comes out and it's a little bit all over the shop and a little bit messy, and and that's one of the critiques, and the the the, the studio will come out or the directors, oh well, there was a writer strike, and you sort of like, well, I don't know, you wrote it, and I don't know, like like you said, I feel like he wrote the first one, he should have a better understanding of his own movie if he's going to write the sequel for it, so. I don't know if that's yeah. I don't know if that's me misremembering, mis but uh, I'm pretty sure there was something to do with issues with writers at the time, and maybe that's probably why he wrote it himself and why it seems like a very convoluted and a lot of stuff. It actually reminds me a lot of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Dead Man's Chest, and or the second and third movies uh, at World's End, where it's very complicated and so many characters and so many different machinations of, of things happening um, to get from A to B. So this is one of those two, I think having, I guess for me, that's maybe a sort of a, a negative into a positive in that maybe they also just under the pressure of trying to get a sequel out, they had the deadlines, didn't have the right people in the right, like you're saying the CGI maybe give them a little bit of a pass because I feel like two years is a pretty quick turnaround. I mean, 
for a, a grand epic know. like this, I yeah, mean, definitely. About- I think it is a victim. It's a victim of its own success, well, for sure. If you put it into the context, this came out at 99. Oh, sorry, the first movie came out at 99. The same year as The Phantom Menace. Even, like, that's, again, higher again on, on special effects. But George has the money. He has the, the um, yeah, ILM, all that sort of stuff. But he also, he also has gave- the built-in audience. Like, they yeah. knew that movie was going to make infinity billion dollars before yeah. they, they released it. They didn't have to worry about getting their money back. But he's also smart enough to give himself three years for each movie. So you imagine this yeah. one's gone into two and probably needed the three. So um, that's where I'll give him a bit of a pass. And the same with the, the, the script, until I'm proved, proven otherwise, I feel like I remember reading that there was some sort of issues with writer strikes and, and all that sort of stuff at that time. So maybe that's why the story's a little bit all over the shop. Because the other thing we haven't touched on is the convenience of Rick actually being a Magi or some version of that with the tattoo, which again, contradicts actually something from the first movie where that wrist is actually exposed in that movie only momentarily, but he doesn't have a tattoo. So that's another yeah. thing you've tied into the movie to try and make it all sound, Oh, it's fate. And you know, blah, blah, blah. And but it's also kind of feels pointless. Like part of what makes Rick so interesting as a character is that he is for better or worse he's a he's a revamp of an indiana jones he mm. is the everyman thrown into the extraordinary situation and watching the everyman deal with it is what the audience connects with like any one of us could be indiana jones any one of us could be rick o'connell you know if we just get a, a satchel and a, a hat you know and head out into the great unknown there's nothing stopping us you know he's not superman he's not spider-man he's not even batman you know you could just go do it and so Rick being a Magi and the whole thing being fate and, and also Evie being Nefertiti and the whole thing being fate, it really disconnects you from those characters because like, oh, well, I can never obviously, you know, I, I can't buy into this fantasy world as much because I don't have the tattoo. I'm not a Magi and my wife isn't the reincarnation of a an Egyptian queen. So, okay, I guess I'm not as invested in these characters as I thought I was because there's not the connection that I had. And, and you kind of, you f- I feel like as an audience member, you're looking for someone to hold on to. Like even in the first movie with, um, oh God, Eddie, Freddie, the, the guy who's constantly causing yeah. trouble for Rick. Eddie. Looks like we got all the horses. Looks like you're on the wrong side of the river. I can't remember his name now. Benny. Benny, Benny, right? So even Benny, like he's a character we can connect with. Even the Americans who wind up getting like their organs sucked out are characters we can connect with because whether they're good guys or bad guys, it doesn't really matter. Even the the prison guard, you know, we can kind of connect with him even though we know he's meant to be a bad guy. There's something endearing about him. There's no characters in, in The Mummy Returns that we as an audience can really latch onto, save for maybe Jonathan, who's barely in it and doesn't do anything. Like Izzy shows up, he's immediately a repellent character. You don't want to be him. He's stinky. He's got the sus gold tooth. There's lots of talk about what kind of a, an underhanded dude he is and not in the charismatic way like Benny is. There's nothing good about this dude that you want to get on board with. And then Rick is suddenly magical and, and Evie's magical and the kid is a pain in the ass and everyone else is like a magi or a villain or a god or something like there's nothing that we as an audience can be like oh that's the me in the movie which i think is a big part of these action romps you've got to find a character that you identify with so you can get on board for the ride yeah i I agree i think that's the problem once you start introducing 
the players as being uh, players, the cast as being almost I wouldn't say supernatural, but you know, yeah, everything you just said. I think once you start doing that, you have that disconnect where an audience can't at least gravitate or feel like that's a bit like me. I see, I see a bit of them in there, or I'm, yeah, I'm that nerdy person, and yeah, I'd love Egypt or whatever. Like once you start adding all this other stuff, yeah, the, the you add these layers to the characters, but then you make them, you know, just not in the same sphere as as the audience. So then there is definitely less to gravitate gravitate towards. So, uh, yeah, it's you're right. The more I think about this movie, even though I don't want to be negative, you're right. It does. I hadn't really thought about it for a long time, even though I knew it had its issues. I used to just sit back and watch it and enjoy it. And just go, oh, I get you, like you said, you get to get to see these characters again and have to go on another trek across you, uh, Egypt and, and deal with mummies and stuff like that. But you're right, a lot of unfortunately, this movie, by you know, being a success, uh, you know, a sequel of a, a successive movie and being rushed out, they have un- undermined the first movie. If you really take this, you know, I guess. The, the canon that's being created, you're right. It, it totally undoes everything in that first movie. I mean, yeah. <sighs> I think, I, th- I think if a fix, if I, I, I mean, who am I? But if I was going to hypothetically fix this movie, I think something that could have made a big difference in, in a small change is instead of giving Rick and Evie a, a kid, give Rick a, a long lost brother or something a brother who shows up who because what you need in the mummy returns that you don't have and it's, a, it's another thing that's a disconnect you need a character who is viewing all this crazy stuff who isn't aware of all this crazy stuff like somebody has to be the person on screen going what was that so that we as in the audience can understand that was alarming everyone in the mummy including the kid like even though they haven't really told him about all the crazy stuff they got up to before he was born He's been going and digging in pyramids with them and seeing some crazy stuff since he was a fetus. So nothing really is blowing his mind too much. And even when he sees some crazy supernatural stuff, he's not that worried. Like the giant guy who says he's going to kill him, he just kind of messes with him a bit because he's he's not that scared. And that doesn't give us an in. You get rid of the kid. You give Rick a long lost brother who doesn't have any idea about this crazy mummy stuff. And he's the one who gets kidnapped. And he's the one that they have to go and save that's way more interesting because you're like, okay, he could potentially die because they're not going to kill a kid in the movie. So there's no peril. They're not going to kill Rick and Evie's kid. There's a 0% chance from the second that movie starts, that kid dies. So when he gets kidnapped, we don't ever have to fear for him, but you introduce a brand new character, like Rick's long lost brother. Maybe they kill that brother. Like maybe in the final fight scene, he sacrifices himself to the Scorpion King to save Rick or Evie or some, I don't know, man but it gives you way more of an opportunity as an audience to relate to someone because now he's the guy who was Rick in the last movie going, what was that? And Rick's like, you get used to it. But also you can have another person there to kick some ass in the final fight scenes instead of a little kid being like, I'm only 10. I can't do anything except get punched in the face a bit. Mm. Like it, it would just be such a simple solution. It would do all the same things the kid does in terms of having Rick and Evie need to chase someone down and save them but with none of the problems that arise from a 10 year old kid. And also fuck, if you want to make Rick a Magi, like maybe the long lost brother finds him because he's like some guy came and found me and told me I was a Magi. I don't know what that means. He also told me I had a brother. I don't know what that means. So 
we have matching tattoos and they can figure out this mystery together and actually mean something because the magi thing means nothing like rick being a magi means absolutely nothing in the mummy returns leave it in take it out doesn't matter i agree and i have issues with it that again being a bit negative um <laughs> no like i think when Ardeth Bay starts telling him about him, oh, you've got this and blah, 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 Rick just throws it away like as if it's weird because it's almost like it's the start of the first movie in that he doesn't believe all this stuff yet. So it's yeah. like, hang on, now that he's telling you and you got the tattoo and he knew the line, he goes, if I had said to you, if I was walking west and blah, 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 whatever the, the line is, at some point Rick's got to go, Oh wow, yeah, he's right. But he's yeah. No one in this movie goes, "Oh wow." There's no moment of recognition that so we, as an audience, can be like, "Oh, that's the thing." There's never a point where we get told that's the moment where you have to gasp as an audience. And, and that's the thing. I just feel like he just throws it off, like, "No, nah, no, 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 no." I don't almost like I don't believe. It. I'm like, "Hang on, you've defeated a mummy that came back from the dead." You're the only guy survived that foreign legion fiasco at the start of this first movie. And then you beat the mummy and now you're fighting mummies again. And there's all this crazy stuff going on. And you're telling me you can't believe a tattoo means something to yeah. you. <laughs> all right, man. Um, yeah. It, that For me, that was a little bit like, oh, I don't know. Again, I don't think that was that whole idea was really fleshed out. Well, I didn't hate it, but again, it was like, mm, shouldn't he know Shouldn't that have come up in the first movie? But again, that's that's a problem when you try and quickly churn out a sequel and you've got to kind of make a similar film but try and add extra stakes and trying to add different layers to things. That's where you probably run into it. It also feels a bit like in this movie with introducing the Magi thing that Stephen Summers knew, okay, the first movie was huge. I got a sequel straight away we're doing essentially the same movie again. So it's bound to be huge. It feels like there was an element of like, okay, so we're definitely making a number three after this. So I'll just slip in this, this little Magi thing for number three and I won't really deal with it now, but I'll get to it later and we'll focus more on the Nefertiti thing and all the other stuff. And it, it does feel a bit like in movies, like, I mean, Marvel is the example of it these days. You know, you watch a Marvel movie, you get a nugget of something about, oh, that's going to happen in the next movie. And then the next movie, you get the payoff. It feels like he was trying to do that, but he kind of bailed on it or didn't know how to do it or kind of just gave up on really trying to get the audience to get on board with it. It was like, well, if they go with it, they go with it. If they don't, they don't. But then in the third one, we'll make it a big thing. And then obviously they didn't. They went in a completely different direction. But it's it's a, a very strange thing to put in this movie, this already very overly full movie, and not actually give us a payoff for. Like there's really nothing. Nothing happens because of Rick being a magic that changes anything. Mm. No, I agree. Just, I, yeah. Like what saves him in the end, What the magical thing that saves him is Evie helps him. <laughs> That's the big thing that, that saves him. It's yeah. like she comes and pulls him out of the pit of hell. And that is also something that I, I don't know. This is the gray area that I fall into with the plots of this movie. When uh, Imhotep is hanging and you know going to get pulled into the depths of hell or whatever it is that he's getting sucked down to. And Anuksunamun just legs it. <laughs> I mean, again, the, the whole first movie is about this is a love greater than time and she's willing to like 
kill herself because she loves him so hard. She knows he will find a way to resurrect her no matter what. That is how powerful this love is. And then when he's like, hey, could you give me a hand? She's like, whoop, 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 and just runs away. (laughs) It's like, um, that is not at all what we've been told for the last two movies. Yeah. And I I kind of I get where they did it. It's like, okay, this this villain who has been so much trouble for two movies, who is the embodiment of evil. At the end, it's kind of sad. Like he's a tragic villain because his little heart gets broken and he just gives up and dies. Because what's the point of living without a Nook Sermon? And he's a nice end to his character in that regard. Like, oh, there's a little bit of, oh, Paul Imhotep. Like he was wrong all along. And that is a nice thing to see in a villain that they're more than just the one note. That when he realizes it was all for naught, he'd rather vanish into oblivion than keep fighting. But what doesn't quite read is one their love is meant to be so powerful it would conquer anything but two he's a super powered super villain why can't he just jump out of the friggin hole like he can make waves and he can make he can turn himself into water and all these other crazy shit that he does but when he's just hanging on a ledge no but he lost his powers remember as he entered that room did he i don't see i don't remember that man like there's so much that's in this movie i don't even remember realizing that yeah, so when he gets past, like, there is talk of, I think it was from the Magi or something. Oh, geez. I only watched it the other day. I should remember this. But long story short, as soon as he walks in, there's like a, reminds me of the never-ending story when he's walking through and there's those statues and he's got to get through and the, otherwise the laser will hit you. He walks through and it sucks all of his extra power out. So sucks all the power out. And then remember when he tries to move something and it moves a little bit. It's almost like he's trying to use the force when Luke's trying to move the lightsaber in the ice cave and he finally gets it. But that's the thing. He's still got a bit of power, but not really. So it's to put him on a mortal level against the score. Okay. I mean, this is going to get negative again, but only because that blows my mind a bit. Like I, again, I only watched this other day and I didn't even pick that up. Yeah. Secondly, isn't the whole reason that they, that the cult, resurrect Imhotep for a second time is because they need a warrior to defeat the Scorpion King. If he's just a dude with no power when he goes into that chamber, why do you need him to defeat the Scorpion King? Like he Mm. he just turns into, like couldn't the frigging librarian do it? Like if he's not Imhotep the Immortal, what's the point? Yeah, but well, yeah, I mean, he's definitely at risk, but uh, he's you know, he's supposed to have that spear thing. And but no, he doesn't have it. He doesn't, no, he have, doesn't have it. That's that's the problem. And I think that's so he has no powers, no spears. He's just yeah. a dude. And they send him to fight the Scorpion King because he's the chosen yeah. hero. Well, and, and so this is the thing. I, look, actually, this, just discussing this makes, makes me want to watch it again to really go over it. I think, I think one of the other problems for Imhotep is maybe because he's so powerful and he's come back and he's he obviously back in the day he he was the bee's knees and whatever have you. But I think maybe that becomes arrogance and he doesn't know because I'm just I feel like there was a throwaway line from one of the characters, not to Imhotep or not part of it. Maybe it's the 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 British the bad guy, the British Museum guy. That, or it could have even been Evie, but someone sort of says that whoever takes on the Scorpion King will have to be mortal or something mortal or something like that. And it's just this throwaway line, like, no, oh, don't worry. It'll, we'll work it out later kind of thing. But yeah, so he goes in and he's, yeah, he's just a mere mortal. 
pretty much. I was watching this movie like so because I knew I was going to talk about it. So if I'm ever watching a movie where I know I'm going to have to talk about it, like I pay some goddamn attention. I put my phone down. I write notes with a pen and paper so I'm not even distracted. Like I'm in it and I still yeah. missed that part. <laughs> He's not even like a mega god at the end. Mm. That that tells me like there's too much going on. There's too much happening in your climax if you can't even yeah. follow what the hell's going on with the villain. You know what would have been cool? It would be really cool if in that moment they almost do it and then they don't. But if in the climax, like Imhotep and Rick have to work together to defeat the Scorpion King, yeah, well, like they momentarily team up. They get so close to doing it and then they just don't. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that too because that's what I thought would, was was going to happen. That like, oh my god, this guy's way too big. Like, we have to do it together. We have to come together somehow, and then that would be the the, the catch. Would be well, once we get rid of him, then something's going to have to happen. And that would have made like Anuxanwan's betrayal even better because Imhotep like teamed up with Rick, they fight, they're on equal footing, they defeat the Scorpion King, and then I don't know, he could be a dick again, or they can just try and escape before they both die. And then they're both in the same situation. And it turns out that Rick's girlfriend, uh, Rick's wife loves him way more than Imhotep's wife. And it's like, oh man, like at the last minute, he kind of redeemed himself and then didn't. But he doesn't. He just like yells at the Scorpion King, like that dude wants to kill you, like a little nerd dobbing on someone, and then he runs away like a sook and then dies. Mm. Like, come on, man. My favorite thing about that fight scene is Arnold Visley talking about the axe they gave him for that fight scene actually weighed like forty kilos, and at the end of the five days it took to film it, he thought that his shoulder had been dislocated because it was so heavy and swinging it just destroyed him. And he's like, my arm was in a sling. I had to ice up for days. I couldn't move. Like that's, I mean, it's not my favorite because I think it's good, but it's my favorite. It's like, that is like hardcore commitment to making a fight scene look cool to yeah. being just a badass dude. Because I think he's a badass dude. I want to see more on Vizzler. I think he's fucking great. Him you know what he was really good in was um, Blood Diamond. Yes. Yeah, man. What an underrated film. I think people just remember Leonardo DiCaprio's accent in that movie and that's it. Like, he, I know my like he's he's great in it and he's a great and Oded Fier is another great actor. One of my favorite things about Oded Fier is the reason he's not in the Mummy, the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. So they offered him to come back for the third one. They're like, hey, we want you to come back for the Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. And he went, doesn't really make sense for my character to be in it. Yeah. Like I'm Egyptian, I guard pyramids. Why would I be worried about the Dragon Emperor? And they're like, we'll figure it out. He's like, no. I don't know, man. It feels like it would just be kind of hacky so no and so, for someone like, gonna go do, like i think he's a great actor but he's not brendan fraser he's yeah he's not even like the fourth built guy it's for him to have like the the nuts to just be like nah man i got more credibility than that i'm not just going to show up in the third movie because i can there's got to be a point and then he turned it down that's badass what a cool dude oh man i love him I want yeah, more I mean, look, it, the easy thing would be to just take the money and take the paycheck and just do it. But I mean, it does sort of say that, you know, you're risking, yeah, you're risking a paycheck or you're not getting paid or you're not doing something else, but you're having, I mean, you know, you're deciding that it's just going to be rubbish anyway, or it makes no sense. So your own creative or you're taking your acting serious enough to go, hang on, I'd, I could yeah. sign up, but you haven't really shown me a script that makes any sense to why I'd be there. So why why is a guy who try and whose whole point of being is to make sure Imhotep never comes back fighting a dragon emperor what what no no thank you i'm out yeah and then it turns out that uh 
he was right. He was right to do that. So have, um, we, have we spoken about this movie positively enough yet? Or are we? I, I've tried. <laughs> I, I, I mean, in the, in the breakdown, like in the Cliff Notes version of the, the good, the bad, and the ugliest film, the good is you're back on the ride, man. Like it's never going to be the first one, but you're there. And all the elements of the first one, like the surrounding elements, the base of it is all there. Costumes look great, really great stuff. The the characters are back and they're awesome. Acting is is really good. Like no one is kind of phoning it in in this movie because it's the sequel. People are trying. Action sequences are pretty cool. Like I, even if I don't love all of them, I still think they're all well directed. I think Stephen Summers does really good action sequences. I think the score is great. I think it really carries a lot of the heavy load in this movie. I think we get to see. And I think this is something we people forget, and myself included, when you're watching films like this, you get to see things that look pretty real that you never get to see anywhere else. Like ancient Egypt. I love ancient Egypt. And I love like, you know, the Egypt of of the days where there was still exploring to be done in pyramids. You get to see all that. You get to see the wild deserts of Egypt and and people going around in this crazy adventure and riding on horseback and fighting with cutlasses, and you get to see them battle armies of the dead, like it's really easy to forget, and it sounds silly to say, but that shit's not real. You can't fly to Egypt and see Egypt, how it looks in this movie. You can't go and watch like crazy fights of people on horseback. That doesn't happen anymore. We're done with those days. And you get to experience that in a way that makes you feel like you're in it. So those aspects of it, I really appreciate. I want those experiences. I want to be able to watch a movie that gives me something that I just simply cannot get anywhere else. And that is delivered in spades in this movie. The bad, I I think simply rehashing the first story whilst also cramming a bunch of new content on top was just a mistake. Like you didn't need to redo the first movie with all the Imhotep and Nuxunamun stuff and have the Scorpion King, and have Evie be Nefertiti, and have Rick be a Magi, and have them have a 10-year-old son in peril because now there's a magic hologram bracelet, which we haven't bought up yet, which is also an insane thing that they do. There's a bracelet that magically shoots holograms, like a projector, like the kind of things that we have today, not in the 1940s, but never mind. All of that stuff is just too much. Like, take take some elements out. That's the bad. And the ugly is that goddamn Scorpion King at the end. <laughs> Wow. Look, I couldn't yeah. change too much more of what you've just said. I think um, for me, yeah, the good thing is like if you try and just switch your brain off, put on the pop, you know, cook the popcorn and then just want to just have a bit of a fun ride and, and get back with those characters. And yeah, it's a fun, it's still a fun movie. It's enjoyable. But um, I guess the bad is like, if you really, really want to analyze it, like we have today, that uh <laughs> Unfortunately, it just, it really, in a lot of ways, just does not hold up. It's just, it's something you would yeah. put in the, the category of, um, you know, the 101 of what not to do in sequels um, is like, you, you summed up pretty well is to probably almost too closely make, re remake your first movie, but then cram a lot of shit on top to change yeah. it up a bit. Um, that That's a huge issue. They, yeah. I mean, they really needed needed another, you know, script rewrite or two to iron. Yeah, they needed they needed Ghostwriter to come. They need Carrie Fisher to come in and do a pass. I mean, like, get rid of that, get rid yeah. of that, put in that, and, get that out there. This is the thing, and this is not having a go at Dwayne Johnson. And I mean, 
you know, I thought I liked the idea, like because I was I was actually into wrestling at the time or the couple Ditto. of years. I was a I big rock it. fan. And yeah, when I heard so he was gonna be in the mummy sequel, so like genuine excitement. So I was excited for it, but that, that was the thing going in. You sort of, you know, that was the early internet days. And I used to I used to oh, you know, want to see a trailer or I wanna oh want to know what's happening, what you know, who's who's gonna play who and, and you here is the Scorpion King and I even then, I wasn't too sure. Is he going to be a villain? He's going to be the good guy. Is he going to help Rick O'Connell? And then that was the thing. Like you have this setup that even his setups weird to me. Like I feel like he was kind of a good guy, but sold his soul because he was gonna he was gonna die, and he wanted to keep on fighting. And then he was almost like then he became the bad guy. And then yeah, it was uh, even that. Just it's never really laid out. Like he wanted to fight people, but you ne- you're never told as an audience. It's kind of the same thing of Evie's dreams. Like you never told as an audience how to feel about him fighting people because you don't know if he's fighting good guys or bad guys. Um, and and in, yes, in this kind of movie, that's really important. And I, and and it's harsh now because I do like seeing some of the rock stuff that comes out now, and I, I think. Is he the greatest actor? No, but I, he's a lot of fun, and I think I, I like. A but lot is of he the greatest stuff. movie star? And I think he might be. Like, I think he might be the current generation's best, Maybe. not actor, but best movie star. Yes. yes. Like, he oh, yeah, knows oh, yeah, yeah. Also, He's I, so good at it. I guess in this early thing, I thought, well, we can't give him too much. We don't give, we want to give him too much, too many lines. He's not a proper actor yet. So we'll give him this bulky, like, he can play this role. He's a wrestler, so he can do this fighter. So, he's, you know, obviously does that. But the problem being, he gets let down by the special effects when he's supposed to have his huge scene and it just looks like absolute garbage. So, um, yeah, I, I think, well, not just that, I, I feel like he's just, the character just was there at the start and he was there for the climax and there was this, yeah, this whole other story going on and there was mention of him, but it was like, did they even really think that out enough? Like, it was almost like they go... He's meant to be... The, the main villain. Like he's meant to be a bigger villain and a bigger problem than Imhotep in this one. But yet, yeah, we we only see him for what, like two minutes at the end as the the villain Scorpion King. Like that's all we get from him. That's kind of, I don't know. As a quick side note, do you know how many Scorpion King movies there are now? Well, it's funny because I think- That got spun off to its own franchise. Yeah, so I did see the first Scorpion King movie, uh, obviously with Dwayne the Rock Johnson, when that came out a couple of years later. Um, and I'd heard, I feel like in the early day, days of DVD, that that movie came out, came out, and then a couple of years later, you could buy a double pack or a twin pack, and then, so there was another one. You go, oh, hang on, and I'm pretty sure he's not in that, is he? He's not in any of the. He's other only in the first. The first one actually came out in 2002. It came out almost yeah. immediately after. The Mummy Returns. He's only in the first one. There are six Scorpion King wow. movies. Yeah, that's crazy. So I wouldn't have even known that. And it was announced in May of this year that Dwayne The Rock Johnson and his production company, Seven Bucks Productions, are currently in works in remaking The Scorpion King. He wants to relaunch that world. But here's the twist. Mm-hmm. One, he's not going to be the Scorpion King in it. Uh, he's just going to produce. They're going to cast someone else as Scorpion King. But two, it's going to be set in modern day. I and it's it's a re, like it's a remake or, or a reboot. Like they're not continuing on the thing that the Scorpion King's been around since the Mummy Returns. This is like a brand new origin for the Scorpion King, but it's modern day. Uh, look, like I said, I think he's the the 
best movie star that we have at the moment, but ideas like that make, I don't know if he's the best producer. I'm going to trust him. Like he, he, everything he's done so far has been for like, for what he's tried to do, he has succeeded completely. Well, Whether or not it's a great movie or a movie people love, it doesn't matter. He succeeded. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but I don't know how the hell that works. Yeah, I don't know. Because didn't they try and do that with The Mummy, the reboot with Tom Cruise that was in modern day pretty much? Yeah, and that <laughs> I wasn't sure whether to bring that one up or not, but I think... Let's not talk, fairness, we won't talk about that one because that's another one we can come back to. Okay. We'll let, the we'll, only thing I want to say about it is if people watch The Mummy Returns and are like, oh man, there are other Mummy movies that you should watch that will put The Mummy Returns maybe in a different position on your scale of what a money money movie can and can't and could be. <laughs> it could be worse. Um, but yeah, it, it, have we been positive about this movie? I don't know. I really, I, I didn't come into this like thinking that I was going to spend the majority of the episode shitting on it. I, I just wanted to air some grievances, but the more we talked about it, the more those grievances I realized like well- the, there's a lot of this movie that is hard to... Well, just to finish off on the, the ugly, like, I mean, the ugly, like you said, was definitely the Scorpion King looked terrible. And <sighs> again, I don't want to harp on it too much, but again, with that special effect, you know, I'm not the special effects king, but I feel like I've watched enough sort of documentaries on special effects, especially through the, the world of Star Wars. And especially at that time, I, I feel like there was still ways they could have... At some point, someone at Universal or someone must have been watching in the dailies or all the effects and gone, Jesus looks shit. And how can we fix this? And I just feel like, could they have just either shot it somehow differently or just cut certain bits to go, let's not emphasize, because there's a part where he kind of leans right in like this. And it's like, don't have that shot. Yeah. <laughs> just, I know it sucks, but maybe if you just can see that it's not good enough, you don't have the time to finish it cut some frames out and not dwell on it and maybe hope the lighting is not as great and you can have it. I don't know. They could have done it. But the other thing, if I can't copy your ugly answer, I'm going to say the pygmies as well, because oh uh, yeah, while it's, it was a little bit of fun for me in that universe that we've just been brought into, that feels random as fuck. Like that feels like, no, it's so it, weird. That feels like that should be, if they were doing the mummy and it was based on the Mayan ancient Mayans or Aztecs in South America. For me, I don't know what it is about pygmies, but for me, that just didn't ring true to that part of the world. And it just no, felt it, like it, it makes no sense. But it just felt, just so ran- yeah. felt so random. Like they're like, okay, we've got action, action, action. Oh, we're going to have a lot. Oh, now we're going to have to do something. What else can we put in this, this uh, new oasis? Like what, what can be, what's the next, thing that can kill them and it's and we can kill off a lot of these guards and and it's like really and it, again it got you know when they're all running across the little log and it blows up and like it's like comes like almost like a gremlins comedy kind of yeah shot. i think maybe they were trying to replicate there's that fun moment in the first one where they have the cgi uh skeletons that are like fighting and they're kind of uh, when Rick's fighting them with the big sword fight, and it's kind of like a nice sort of throwback to the old stop motion days. Yeah. And, and it, it, it looks cool. And those characters are kind of the comedic zombie mummy things. And then the, the guards that like roar and climb walls, they're like the scary ones. 
And it feels like they were trying to replicate that. It's like, okay, the Scorpion King is going to be like the scary thing. And the pig, and the pygmy little things are going to be the fun little things. The kids can be like, ha ha ha, they're funny. That's kind of cute, but it doesn't land in not even for kids. Like there's nothing in it for anyone with that bit. What's in there is Steven Spielberg watching it going, I'm going to sue somebody. That's what's in there for that. <laughs> like it's that that's not even an homage. It's just, a, Oh shit. Let's just lift that scene. Yeah. I mean, it's probably the same grass they used in the last world. It was probably the same, probably the same uh, patch of land that they used in um, the same puppeteers. It's like, Oh yeah, we've done this. We can do it again. Yeah, they probably just superimposed the, the, their costumes over those guys and just changed Yeah. Anyway, so I guess winding up a rating, how, you know, what are you feeling? Seeing it again for the first time in almost 10 years, similar to me. Yeah. Look, at, like I always, the cop out that I always give when, when I'm on the show is I talk about, you know, with the sequel, it's not about how good it is, it's about where does it fit with the first one. It's always about the first one. And this yeah. one, it, it just, it doesn't, it gives me some of the world. It takes me back to the characters. It takes me back to the world. And I, I like being back in the world of the mummy. I want to spend more time with Rick O'Connell and with Evie. I want to spend way more time with Jonathan and Imhotep and everything. That's all great. I don't think when I'm reaching to watch The Mummy, I, I think every single time if I have the option to watch The Mummy or The Mummy Returns, I'm watching The Mummy. Yeah. And I'm only watching The Mummy Returns in another 10 years when I'm like, I think the last time I watched it, I didn't like it. I'll check it out again. So I I give it like, like a third, a third in, in the pie of the mummy movie, for me, the first one is a solid 10 out of 10. In the pie, you get a third of the pie of the mummy movie for this one. So whatever you want to call that, was it like three and a half, four, somewhere around there. I, I don't even get 50% of what I got from the first movie in this one. I don't hate it. It probably sounds like I do from the, from this episode. I don't hate the movie. And if it's on and someone's like, hey, do you watch The Mummy Returns? I'll probably like, okay, I'll watch a bit. I'm not going to commit to watching the whole thing. But it's 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 not it's not what I want when I dive back into this world. Yeah, I'm probably pretty similar. I'd probably still give it a half. I think I'll be a little bit more generous, even though I have picked apart stuff. Uh, or we both <laughs> have picked apart stuff, and and and. and Unfortunately, that's probably what's going to sometimes happen with these episodes that we go in with a positive mindset and then the negative comes out because maybe I think, you know, you think about something, oh, is it that bad? And then you might say something that just elevates how I was and then go, actually, no, yeah, we were right. It's pretty bad or whatever. So I think think sometimes sequels do suck. (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) that's the the reality. And, And look, in fairness, like I said, we've touched on earlier, I think that's unfortunately the the world that we live in that when a movie, like you said, is, is such a big movie and, and the mummy wasn't on a massive budget sort of thing. Like it wasn't, it was about 30 million or so. Like it was, still yeah, a it wasn't, time, but it wasn't, it wasn't astronomically huge for a movie of that type. So the fact that it was, you know, it was making a lot of money and like you said, pretty much got signed up straight away for a sequel. The pressure's on to try and replicate that. And, that's the thing that you sometimes get. Even if you get all the right ingredients back, it doesn't necessarily mean the cake's going to be as great the first time around. So um, 
I think they tried to put too many ingredients in and, uh, yeah, it came out a bit flat. Um, I still enjoy it. Like I said, I went and saw it a couple of times. Like if I thought it was that bad, I wouldn't have gone to see it. But even in in those rewatches, I I definitely had issues with the script. Like I said, the reincarnation stuff really was jarring for me. I said it sort of undermined the first movie and didn't make a lot of sense because I think, especially with Evie's character, even though I love it, how sexy is Rachel Weiss, by the way. Um, oh, she's amazing. And I think that's why, I think the guys loved her. And maybe that's why the rating is so high on it, that all the guys that liked her, liked her even more in the sequel. Cool. And that was that was her heyday too. You know, late 90s, early 2000s. That's what, That was her, her big time to, so, to shine as a... Yeah, I'm probably I'm probably a little bit more generous. I'll probably give it a five. But like you, I, the one thing I think this or another positive this movie does have for it, when I watched it, I didn't, you know, I had the note, you know, notes out like you did as well, and the pen and paper. But I didn't, you know, didn't feel like I needed to go for my phone. Never really felt like I was bored at all, and because I hadn't watched it for so long, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that bit and and whatever. But I felt like it just pumped along really quickly. And it wasn't a drag to watch. It was a lot of fun. So while I have, again, issue, issues with the technical aspects of the movie with it when it comes to the CGI or the overuse of CGI and obviously this plot and story elements that are just way out of whack, still a lot of fun. I mean, you're never going to have a bad time when you're watching Brendan Fraser. You know, like he's, he's a pretty sure bet, especially around this period of Brendan Fraser. You're going to have at least a bit of fun. You can't really lose. Yeah, Brendan Fraser. Yeah, he's a lot of fun. He's a lot of fun. And he, look, he, he's a likable guy. That's the thing you want from your, your movie stars. And I think that's what, uh, ironically enough, it, it was his first movie, but The Rock, I think that's what he brings to a lot of his films as well. He can bring the serious, but I think there's something inherently likable about him. That that's what He's just got it. Look, to be honest, and I'm sure we will at some point talk about Jumanji or Welcome to the Jungle and those sort of movies. I was never even a Jumanji person, but a friend said to me, because I, I did like The Rock, and I was like, oh, I'm not going to say And a friend of mine that is a little bit older than me, but I didn't think would like this movie, he goes, have you seen Jumanji? I'm like, no, the, like the new one. He's like, yeah, you, you go, you've got to watch it. It's fun. And the fact that he said it, I was like, oh, it must be pretty good if he's bringing it up and, and talking about it. And then, yeah, again, had a lot of fun. And yeah, Kevin Hart's in it and whatever. And But The Rock, there's something about The Rock that just works and... Uh, He's it. He's he's eating a bit, especially at the moment. Well, that was our recap of The Mummy Returns, the 2001 sequel to The Mummy. Thanks for joining me, Angus. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm sorry, Stephen Summers. Yeah, thanks for all your positive vibes that you brought to the podcast. <laughs> and uh, yeah, look, we'll uh, you'll hear us soon. Well, there you have it, fans. That was The Mummy Returns. Thanks again for Angus for joining me. And moving forward, Angus is now part of the team. So it will be Angus and I talking sequels. Uh, there will be some times where we will have other guests in, uh, like Ben Waterworth, like we had previously, and some others coming to join us for particular movies that they love. Um, but, yeah, uh, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to like us on Instagram, Sequels Suck. And also there's Cable Unplugged on Facebook and just any sort of uh, five-star review or anything on your Spotify's or your iTunes would be greatly appreciated. And, And until then, see you soon.